Hey, I'm Shay. And I'm Michelle. And this is The Pantry Podcast. And you're listening to an episode from season four, Unnaturally Nourished, where we're talking about how God nourishes us in ways that the world just can't understand. And we want to give shout outs to War Cry Network, the Christian Podcasters Association, Eternity Ready Radio, and the Spark Collective. Check out thepantrypodcast.com to support us by buying our awesome merch, sending in prayer requests, and figuring out how you can connect with us and some of our awesome guests. Here we are again, man, getting to talk to people that just bring knowledge and, and glory to God. And tonight is one of those times where I always say this, I'm excited because I always <laughs> am. We have talked to so many awesome people over the last uh, year that I'm just always in this like awe of, of conversation and being edified by what they have to say. And tonight, you know, it's kind of in that realm of how we're raising our children, how we're bringing them up in the word of God. Um, it really made me think of Amos 8, 11 through 14, where it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I'll send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. On that day, the fair virgins and strong young men shall faint from thirst. Those who swear by the sin of Samaria, who say, O oh, your God lives, O oh, Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. How are we bringing up our kids? How are we raising generations? And tonight, we're going to get to hear some awesome insight on this. Yeah, tonight we have someone really special. We first really discovered biblical apologist Ken Ham on YouTube when he was debating Bill Nye and obviously winning, in our opinion, and in God's, but on the topic of creationism versus evolution. However, he's also known for all the ways that he loved God's, how that manifests. He's the CEO of Answers in Genesis U.S. and the Creation Museum, as well as the visionary behind the full-size Noah's Ark, located just a few hours west of us. So today, among his many methods of serving Christ, we're also diving deeper into his new book, Will They Stand? This book focuses on helping Christians raise kids properly amid cultural adversity and giving them the tools to face the giants of secularism, immorality, and apathy. So it's part journal, part how-to, part testimony, and completely God-honoring. And it's truly an honor to be sitting with you today, Ken. Welcome to the pantry. Yeah, welcome, Kim. It's great to have you here. Hey, it's uh, great to be with you guys. Look forward to it. So, you know, you've been around the circuit for a long time. I'm talking like, I've, I've watched your videos. I've, I've Millions of years. <laughs> I think that, you know, who was that? Uh, Jay Warner Wallace. That might depend on our feelings and our thoughts, how we get to that conclusion. <laughs> no, but, but like you've been around and, and I've got to hear a lot of things, um, a lot of the debates. Um, but this book, you sent us a sample and it's amazing. And so what brought you to this position of, of wanting to write not just a book that just kind of tells you about things, but also brings ways to do it? Well, you know, uh, a number of things, really. But first of all, the family is the first and most fundamental of all human institutions, God ordained in Scripture. And the family is the unit that God uses to transmit knowledge of himself from one generation to the next and to the world around, to impact uh, the world around. And when you think about it, like, you know, even in the book, I talk about uh, Joshua and when they took the people across the Jordan River and then God told Joshua to tell the people to build a memorial of 12 stones so that when your children in time become asked, what do these stones mean? Do you will not forget to tell them what God has done? And so those stones were to be a memorial 
to remind the children of what God has done so they don't forget who the true God is. And it says, and also for the nations, in other words, for the world, to be an impact on the world as well, to remind them of who God is and what God has done. And one of the things we find, sadly, I mean, you were quoting from Amos there uh, before, and there are famine of the, the teaching of the word of the Lord, famine of God's word is, is what's going to happen. And, you know, Hosea talks about my people suffer from a lack of knowledge. And one of the things that I realize is that, you know, the family is the backbone of the nation and it's come under incredible attack uh, in, in our days. And as I've been traveling across the world for the last 40 years and traveling across, you know, the Western world, and I've spoken in all 50 states in America and hundreds of churches, and you start hearing over and over again, parents say, my grandkids don't go to church. Uh, my, my teenagers don't want to come to church or they say church is boring. And one of the things we have seen, and there's been a lot of research done on this, is that we are losing the coming generations from the church. And right now, when you look at the statistics, for those born before 1928 are the greatest generation, and there's not many of those left, of course, but 52% of them in America went to church. Then as you go down through the silent and then the baby boomers, I'm in the baby boomers generation, 32% to church. And then you keep going down through generation X, then generation Y, the millennials, only 18% of millennials go to church. And then generation Z, they're the youngest generation and they're just doing the research on them now. And they are the first truly post-Christian generation, said researcher George Barner, and twice as likely to be atheist as any previous generation. There's an incredible problem. The church is losing the coming generations. And I believe it's because there's been such a lack of training in homes by parents and what the Bible says about how to equip them to face the world. In fact, the Bible tells us there's a warning that the devil is going to use the same method on us as he did on Eve to get us to position of not believing the things of God. God says that through Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 11.3. And the method he used on Eve was to get Adam and Eve to doubt and not believe the word of God. So parents have not been really cognizant of what is happening in the world, these giants that are really out there to capture your kids and drag them away from the Lord, and how do we prepare them and train them according to biblical principles, not necessarily what somebody else has said, not necessarily what you think, but what does God's word say? I have just had such a real burden that we need to challenge parents, that we need to be raising up godly generations. If you look at Malachi 2.15, where the Israelites, the men were divorcing their wives and marrying pagans. And the prophet asked the question, why did God make two one? Now, that's a reference back to the one flesh. When God took dust, made Adam, took his side, made a woman, Genesis 2.24, you become one because you're one flesh. In other words, why did God make marriage? What's a primary importance of marriage? Because he sought godly offspring. And so when you think about it, the family God has ordained to produce godly offspring He'll marry godly offspring, he'll produce godly offspring, he'll marry godly offspring, produce godly offspring, and as they do that, they impact the world for the Lord Jesus Christ, generation after generation. We need to raise up godly generations, and this book is all about that, and it really starts in my homeland of Australia, how our parents trained us, and the way they did that and the foundation they laid really led to the Answers in Genesis ministry and the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter that impact millions and millions of people a year. It's really a legacy of parents to impact the world 
and to raise up godly offspring. I think it's very interesting in your book how you said that you were called to the mission field of America. And I think that in a lot of Americans' minds, we're where you send missionaries from. A lot of people think, you know, we have it together. And even though they can look all around and see that is not true, it's still something that's embedded in our heads. You know, in 1 Peter 3, it says that we should always be prepared with a defense of our faith, which goes back to the stones, having that testimony of what God's done in your own life. And in America, it's often feeding off the stories of what God has done in others' lives, what God's done in an author's life and a pastor's life, and not necessarily in paying attention to what God's doing in theirs. So when they're raising their children, it's a distant God that has favor, but they're not seeing that day-to-day relationship their parents have with Christ. It's very hard to model what you can't see. You know, as I have traveled around over the past 40 plus years and all over the world, I've often had families come to me, fathers come to me. And I, I think of one particular instance where a father came up and he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, but my father never trained me to be able to bring up children. And I just realized tonight, I don't know how to do it. What do I do? Because he never, he never modeled that for me. One of the problems we've got in the church is in, a, in the majority of instances, if anything, it's been the mother who's been the spiritual head. But scripture makes it very, very clear. The fathers to the children shall make known your truth. Fathers bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I know there are single parent families and so on, and there are all sorts of issues out there. And I believe God gives them a special measure of grace to be able to deal with their situation. But I'm talking about the family as God ordained it. The fathers are to be the spiritual head and be that priest to their wife to guide their family to to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And in most homes, I see the father is not doing that. And by and large, they just hand over the education to the schools, to the Sunday schools, the church, or to others, or the kids down the street. They need to be the ones directing their education. Education starts in the home, uh, regardless of where kids are educated outside and with the parents. And secondly, I would say we need to be asking ourselves, what does God's word say about how to train children? And, uh, you know, I have one particular chapter where I talk about Vegemite. And Vegemite is that Australian exotic food. Well, I call (laughs) it exotic food. Uh, It's a black paste. It's basically the sludge left over from the breweries, right? And uh, so it's made into this black paste and we put it uh, on toast, you know, put some butter on toast and you put it on toast or get a cracker and put butter on it, put Vegemite on it. But by and large, if you give Americans Vegemite, they absolutely hate it. They think it's the most vile thing they've ever tasted in their life. Now, I think it's wonderful. I love (laughs) to have Vegemite on crackers or Vegemite on toast. So why do I like Vegemite? And why do most Australians like Vegemite? Because when we were young as babies, our parents used to put a little bit of Vegemite in our mouth, maybe with a spoon or something like that, or even on their finger, and we would get to acquire a taste Mm -hmm. for it. So then we're older. We already have that taste. We've acquired it. Right. Now, over here, you people eat pickles. And pickles <laughs> are the most vile things I've ever tasted <laughs> in my life. In, in fact, I tell people, you know, in the Bible where it says thorns and thistles came after the curse, it's actually a, it's actually a mistranslation. It should be thorns and pickles came <laughs> after the curse. Uh, you know, anything you have to take and soak in something for millions of years before you can eat it, there is something wrong with that. That's, but you were brought up on pickles from a young age. And so you acquired that taste. And so now you think they're wonderful. You don't know how bad they taste because you were brainwashed to think they taste good, right? From a young age. Uh, So I I liken that to, you know what 
Paul was saying about Timothy, that from a young age, you were taught the scriptures. We need to teach our children to acquire a taste of the things of the Lord right from when they're born. Yeah. yeah. And for a lot of parents, they've sort of left it to, oh, they're teenagers, or oh, they're going off to college, oh, well, I better do something. And and by then, it's often far too late, and it's very difficult to turn someone around. It's difficult to acquire a taste for something you've never been brought up to acquire a taste for. And then, you know, Vegemite has a salt taste, mm-hmm. okay? And you see 90 to 95% of kids from church homes go to the public education system. And the public education system is a secular system, but it has become increasingly atheistic, increasingly antagonistic to Christianity. Teaches evolution as fact, millions of years as fact. Uh, and so te- now they teach everything can be explained by natural processes. Naturalism is actually atheism. And so it's re- they're really churches of atheism. That's what they have become. And 90, 95% of kids from church homes go to that system. And I, I find that many, many churches have told parents, well, that's good. Your, your kids need to be in the system. They need to be uh, salt in the system. They're there because we're to be the salt of the earth. So we should be there being salt, being witness to the, to the other kids. Well, I want to challenge parents, and I do this in the book. Okay, if you're going to use that particular justification uh, for your kids being in that system, then I want to ask you, how can they be salt? Because Mark 9.50 says, have salt in yourselves. In other words, you can't be salt till you have it. Right. And so our job as parents is to be putting that salt in. Not only that, Matthew 5.13 says, if the salt's contaminated, it's good for nothing. Mm. I think of, you know, when our first son was born and I was there in hospital looking at him, you know, he's, he's now just a few hours old. And he looks up at me and says, hey, Dad, what do you view as eschatology and soteriology? And so we had great, you know, theological discussions, <laughs> of course. But, you know, you think about it. When our children are born, do they know about Adam and Eve? No. Right. Do they know about Adam's sin, bringing death? No. Do they know about Abraham? Do they know about the babe in a manger? Do they know about the cross? Do they, what do they know? Well, God's word says he's made it evident to all that he's creator and without excuse and that the law is written in our hearts. But our job as parents is to take those vessels, those beings that are going to live forever and ever and ever and ever in heaven or hell, and and what a responsibility as parents, to put that biblical truth in there, that salt in there, as uncontaminated as possible so that they can be filled with salt to be salt. You can't throw them to the world and let them fill them with contamination and they not have the salt because then we'll lose them, which is what's happening. And then in doing that, there's been a, an incredible failure, I believe, of the church and of homes to teach two particular things. You mentioned First Peter 3.15 before, always prepared to give a defense or answer. And the, the word defense or answer, depending on which translation you have, comes from the Greek word apologia, from which we get a word apologetics, which means to give a logical reason defense of the faith. Mm-hmm. And so there's been a failure of much of the church in our homes to teach apologetics, to teach answers to the skeptical questions. The giants of our day that are going to come up with all this teaching that says the Bible's wrong, you can't trust the Bible, you can't trust Genesis, Noah's flood wasn't real, there's not a God, where did God come from? How do you know the Bible's true? Noah couldn't get the animals on the ark. There are all these questions out there today That's what's being used today to cause people to doubt you can trust the Bible, so we need to give them those answers. And secondly, there's been a failure to teach them foundationally. 
the Bible is not just a guidebook to life. It's not just a book of spiritual things and moral things and relationships. It is a book of history. And God has revealed to us in Genesis 1 to 11, the foundational history in geology, biology, astronomy, anthropology, that's foundational to our whole worldview, to all of our doctrines. If you want to teach your kids about marriage, you've got to start from Genesis where God created marriage. He made Adam and Eve, male and female, and he created the marriage in Genesis 2.24. If you want to teach him about gender, well, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, he says he made man in his image, male and female. So there's only two genders, and science confirms that. We have the sex chromosomes, XY for male and XX for female. So there's some apologetics to confirm that. You want to teach him about abortion, well, you start from Genesis. God made man in his image. No animal was made in his image. So right from fertilization, your unique combination of information made in God's image so abortion is killing a human being made in God's image. You want to know why we wear clothes and standards of clothing. God gave clothes because of sin. In Genesis 3.21, he made coats of skins for Adam and Eve, the first blood sacrifices covering for their sin, pointing to the Messiah and the setup of the sacrificial system to understand the foundation for the gospel. We need to be taking those vessels that God has entrusted to us. Children are in heritage from the Lord, a gift to us to train up for the Lord putting in that salt of biblical truth, teaching them foundationally what they believe so they know what they believe, they know why they believe what they do, equipping them to face the giants that are going to try and undermine the authority of God's word, to fill them up with that biblical truth as uncontaminated as possible so that then they can go out and face the giants. We today have a tornado of moral relativism ripping around our culture that is destroying the coming generations. It's only those who are anchored to the word of God mm. and know what they believe and understand that foundationally that will be able to stand uh, and not succumb to the effects of that incredible secular humanist tornado. Wow. That's, that's wow. Just like so much there, because when we think of it as our ch children, as we think of it as that impact, Ephesians 6, right? When we're putting on this whole armor, we think of apologetics as apologia, right? Uh, as this, I got to go out and beat someone down so that I win. But really what we're doing is we're reinforcing the word of God within us so that when we hear these things, we don't get distracted. We don't get thrown off. We don't get, you know, dissuaded. You know, we're teaching our kids. I love that. I love hearing the fact that I got to teach my little 19 month old, 20 month old, even more about, about how God is. Because, you know, as we look at culture, as we look at what's going on in the world and we sit here with a 20 month old. It's kind of like in your book when you're describing your kids and your grandkids and your wife saying, you know, oh, what about our grandkids, right? right? I want to build her up so that when she faces what's coming, she can stand in the word of God and she can be confident in what she knows. Um, I love it. You know, and we're talking about this food. We're talking about this salt and, you know, Psalms 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, I want her to understand this, and that is key to our kids' defense when they face the world. And, and you know, as you think about your kids and, and just what you were saying there, here's a house, here's a, a, a lot of money, you know, representing your bank account, and here's a, a poodle and a cat. And the reason I use poodles and cats because I don't like either of them. <laughs> uh, uh, and here's a motor car and a big boat, and here's a child. And then ask this question, uh, which one of these is going to last forever? Mm. And there's only one, and that is the child. And then another question, 
which one of these can you take to heaven with you? Mm, right. And, you know, as you think about that, what an, what an incredible responsibility you have. What an awesome, awesome responsibility. Every child that is conceived in a mother's womb is a being who is going to live forever and mm. ever and 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 ever right. in heaven or hell. Right. And God entrusts them to us as parents. That should be enough for mothers and fathers to say, wait a minute, this is the most important uh, investment that I could ever have. I need to make this a priority. I need to say, what does God's word say? If you would ask parents right now, you know, write down what the Bible says, not what you think, but write down what God's word clearly says about how you to train children, what the priorities of education are, what your roles are as mother and father. And, you know, the sad thing is a lot of people don't really know what to write down because if you can't answer those questions, whose methods are you using? This world, I, th I think with the whole COVID situation in 2020 and what's been happening, and you realize how quickly we can lose our freedoms. You know, you, you get to a stage, you're not even sure what to believe about what's true and what's not in some instances. But I think it, it, it's made people really think through some priorities and realize, wait a minute, this world, this world is, is, is finite. And for Christians, this world is not our home. And this is not going to go on forever. We could, what, what happened in, with the Romans and people being thrown to the lions because of their Christian faith, and you realize we could be persecuted in this nation. We're starting to see the LGBTQ uh, movement uh, used as a weapon against the church to be able to try to stop churches and, you know, Christian organizations getting funding or being able to employ the Christians that they want to employ. And you start to realize wait a minute, this life is nothing compared to eternity. My priority has to be to train my children for their eternity. I mean, that is the priority. That's what my resources need to be put into. I need to make sure I do it correctly, God's way. Am I falling into that trap of making God a slice of the pie instead of the whole pie? You know, everything needs to be God flavored in my life. You know, it, it can't be oh, I forgot about God. Let me quickly throw him in there. You know, let me throw in a Bible verse so that it's Christianese. Let me throw in a church event so that my week has something godly in it. And when we're raising our children, it's the same thing. It's not, oh, let me, you know, add in some Bible so that they know. It's how can I introduce this biblical concept and also help them understand the history of it, the, the mathematics of it, the science of it. How can I go from a God level and not just add him in? Because I think when we're comfortable and we're tempted and we're distracted by what the world has to offer, especially in a, a country as comfortable as ours, he quickly becomes a slice of the pie. He doesn't become the whole pie because you justify other things and you take him out of those things and then and insist it's important for him to be inserted. But if you don't bake the pie with him to begin with, you have to throw that pie out and start over pretty much. Well, you know, Michelle, it's an interesting uh, analogy you use there because I appreciate what you're saying. The Bible is not a guidebook you add to life. Right. If we truly understand what the Bible is, it's a revelation from God who knows everything there is to know about everything. So he's revealed for us the key information we need to be able to then build the right way of thinking and how to then correctly understand life right. and the universe. The whole of God's word is the foundation 
for our worldview. It's not something you add to your thinking. Your thinking comes from somewhere. It doesn't, you don't just pull it out of the air. There's only two foundations for your thinking. It's either God's word or man's word. Mm. And when we understand that, then we can develop in our children the correct understanding of the world. Like one of the most asked questions the younger generations ask, well, how can there be a loving God with all the death and suffering in the world? And they look out there and they, they see all the evil we see in the world and it's a horrible world. But think about some of our children's books we use in our churches and some of our Sunday school materials that say things like, children, God made this wonderful world. Look at the beautiful world God made. But they look out there and they see an ugly world. It is not a beautiful world, right? Because it's a fallen world. So when we look at the world, if we just look and the Bible's over here somewhere as a guidebook to life, we look at the world and say, yeah, how, how can we understand there's a loving God and all the death and suffering in the world and people try to talk about that. But if you start with the Bible as a foundation for your thinking, you realize, oh, it was once very good. There wasn't any death or disease or suffering. It was a perfect world after God made everything. But then Adam sinned, and now because of sin, uh, things run down, we we die. Our buddies, uh, Romans 8 tells us, the whole creation now groans. So then you realize, oh, I'm looking at a fallen world. We messed it up because of our sin. This is not the world as God made it. It's not God's fault. It's our fault because we sinned in Adam. God sent his son to come and rescue us from this. So once you've got that right foundation, you have the right way of thinking, then your children will correctly understand this world. We have to do that in every single area. Yeah, yeah I am 100 on that. And as a man, I agree with you. As a spiritual leader of this house, I agree with you. It is a tough position. <laughs> it is a tough position to juggle, a tough position. But you know, what makes it easier is that foundation. What makes it easier is taking the, the, the Bible and applying it to life instead of trying to apply my life to the Bible. Um, but sitting there in that doctrine with everything that goes on in society, everything that I've experienced in my, in my past and sitting there and saying, you know what, this is the, this is the right algorithm. This is the right key. This is the right paradigm. I'm using time terms, but whatever, <laughs> but it's the right paradigm. It's the right way. It's the right key. It shows me how to live. It shows me how to guide my family. You know, I love when, when they, he sits there and says, I will raise my, my family into the Lord. My, this will be a house of the Lord. This is the Lord's house. And I really see it that way. And I think that families need to see it that way. Youth ministers can't just be someone you throw your kids at for correction. You got to be a part of it. Um, we heard this from another guy that is working with Gen Z. He's like, they just come and they throw their kids at us and they're like, you fix them. And it's like, but wait, what about your spiritual life? What about your spiritual life? What are they seeing at home? You're sending them to us to them here to us, but they're not getting this this nourishment at home. We, we you know we've seen churches become places of comfort and like necessities. Oh, they got good daycare. They got you know it's like the and 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 now I think like you said back in 2020, we're learning something different. We don't have all of that, so now we have to either find that relationship or move on. But how do you see the church and how do you see it moving forward? You know, America has very much been a very Christianized country. Uh, the whole West has. You know, if you think of the founding fathers, not all were necessarily Christian, but nonetheless, they had a Judeo-Christian ethic that came out of the Bible and that permeated the culture. And the older generations particularly had that Judeo-Christian ethic. I mean, that has greatly impacted the Western world and has been greatly blessed because of that Judeo-Christian ethic that came out of the Bible. But that is actually the unreal world, mm. right? 
Because the real world is what? The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Men love darkness rather than light. There's more in the broad way than the narrow way. And what does Paul say in Philippians 2.15? We live in a, a wicked and perverse generation. Noah lived in midst of wicked and perverse generation. You know, we heart, thought of the heart was evil continually. And what I believe has happened, there's been a lot of complacency, if you like, in the church in that, oh, yeah, you know, you got freedom of religion and free, the freedom of, of uh, free exercise of religion and we've got all these churches and all these Sunday schools and kids coming along. But the real world out there has been taking over those kids and that's the, they're one, one of the giants has been capturing these generations. At church, we should have been thinking through and in our homes should have been thinking through, now, wait a minute, you know, the real world out there is a world where people are against God and the real world is one where, where the devil's going to want to capture my children and drag them away. So I need to make sure that I am teaching them ready to be equipped to stand against this real world out there. Instead, we've basically, you know, had a lot of shallow teaching and Bible stories and, and, and then we see when we're losing them, what's happening? Well, then what happens is, music becomes the center of most churches. And I found as I've traveled around, uh, a lot of the praise teams out the front become performance oriented, a lack of teaching uh, because they water down the teaching of the word. Don't get me wrong. I love music and I love to see, sing praise and music uh, in church. But what's happened is that it's become the dominant part of church right. and that it's sort of more entertainment. Whereas we should have been teaching generations ready for this fallen world that we live in, that the church hasn't done what it should have done and parents haven't done what they should have done in their homes. We've been very complacent with all that. And, and now we're saying, wait, wait a minute, what do we do? It, well, it's what we didn't do right. that's caused this problem. We're going to see a lot of the, uh, increasing intolerance of anything that's Christian, a lot of antagonism towards Christianity, a lot of persecution towards Christians and things that are happening to try to, to, try to stop uh, Christianity. And I know uh, God promises that, you know, the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, the true body of Christ worldwide. But we are now suffering in a culture from a lack of raising up godly offspring and a lack of teaching by the church. We need to raise up generations on the right foundation. So parents right now need to be saying to themselves, how can I teach my children to live in this world? I think sometimes people can hear this. I am 100. I, I like hearing you say that. Um, I've been saying a lot. Second Timothy, you know, sits there and says the same thing. It says it's going to get worse and worse. And I point people that sometimes and I get called a lot of things. <laughs> I, get, <laughs> I get called, you know, a defeatist and, a, and, fatalist. and a fatalist and all this. But I'm like, no, this is the truth. And this is from our own community, our own Christian community. Mm -hmm. But as you're sitting there talking to us, I see this battle. I see this war. And I love that you're saying that this, these are things that are going to happen because the Bible has said this is what's going to happen. Again, another roadmap to how we see where things are going. And it's not that like you're going to be locked out of church, you know, because you can't go because of COVID. That's the, I don't even think that's the suffering because we're still sitting here on Zoom talking to Ken Ham. And it's like, OK, <laughs> cool. You know, we're getting we're getting all these details. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's just like it's very edifying to, to understand that we have a victory in this, though, that he's already won the war. He, you know, he's put the, the serpent under his foot and it's like, that's where we live. So let's get out there and change and, and show our kids, no matter what age they are, that there's still hope that there's still a God. There's a better way. Yeah. Shay actually 
as a military veteran, he told me, you know, how important it is to not be one degree off because you can end up miles off course if you've walked long enough. And I think that right now listening to you, it's an inspiration to do a small, slight pivot, being bold in challenging the people directly around us to do this with their children. Because if all the listeners are doing that, all your readers are doing that, everyone that hears this message feels that conviction to go do this, then a situation like God redeems these things and our weapons are the kind that demolish strongholds. So this wake up call that has happened many a time, you brought it up in your book in in second Kings, all of the Kings. And finally they pull out the Bible and they're like, Oh, after so many generations, (laughs) um, they they found it, they found it again. And it was only after just hellish circumstances. And I think that this generation that has, we're painting God a scene to bring out a lot of glory when we talk about how dismal a fate Gen Z. And I think it's fitting that they're the last letter of the alphabet as well, that they have such a bad shot at being a Christian. That seems like a setup to wake us up, to get out there. And while the distractions are less, Still loud, still evil and dark, but the distractions are less because the freedoms are less. To, this generation can wake up. And even if there aren't many, they I feel like they'll be stronger for it because of the boldness coming out of statements like the one that you've been making throughout this episode. Right. Think of the parable Jesus uh, told about the nobleman that entrusted resources to his servants and of course, nobleman represents Jesus and the servants represents us and the resources, what he entrusts to us, you know, could be gifts of teaching, uh, our talents, um, material resources. And then he said he was going to go away and he'll be back, but to engage in business until he comes. Mm-hmm. It's a reminder to all of us that you can look around and think things are bleak and be depressed and be discouraged. But what we need to do is keep our eyes on the King of Kings and say, but you know what, regardless right. We are to do the business of the king until he returns. Amen. And that business of the king is to train up our children, is to be a witness to them, be a witness to the world, uh, to take God's word and the gospel to as many people as we can. And so when I see what's happening in this world and the failure of the church and the loss of the coming generations and so on, it just makes me even more enthusiastic than ever to say, Lord, we have got to get this message out even more. We've got to, we got to do more. You know, we built a creation museum. We built an ark. It's impacting millions of people. The ministry of answers and Genesis impacts tens of millions of people a year, but we want to do more. And, you know, then you get people who say, but, Oh, we're in the last days. <laughs> well, I agree. We're in the last days, right? We've been in the last days ever since right. a godson <laughs> stepped into history to, you know, be, be the babe in a manger and right. ride across me raised from the dead. And all I say to people is we just don't know how last we are right now. Right. All we know is we're more last today than we were yesterday, mm-hmm. but <laughs> it could be another thousand years, it could be another 10 years. You know, who knows? The point is we ought to be faithful and we ought to get out there and do what we should be doing. And, you know, if, if we, if we actually turn to the Lord, and begin doing what we should be doing in our churches and in our homes, who knows, God may bring uh, revival. I believe we need a new reformation in our culture to get people back to the word of God, and God may bring revival. We don't know where we are in history, but regardless, we need to be faithful. And you, you heard it today from Ken Ham, be faithful, sir, edifying, 
thank you for your word. Thank you for sharing with us. Y'all, this has been a good episode. This is really a gut wrencher on, on, on like how we need to change and how we need to be better equipped in our own homes with our children, with our wives, and then with those around us. Um, it's been awesome. Yeah, no, again, thank you for everybody. You know, don't flee from conviction, but dive into repentance with joy. Amen. So if you want any help with prayers in this area, we are always here. Prayer requests on thepantrypodcast.com. You can reach out to us and there will be links to all of the amazing resources and sites like the Ark Encounter that Ken has been a part of, as well as a link to buy his book in the show notes. Um, So once again, thank you. It's been amazing. We're edified and inspired. Um, And until next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. We really appreciate this. Uh, Just to hear you like this. (laughs) Right. It's so cool. Instead of watching a video with you.